hello. The, the, the giggle in the background is Janet. This is Cleo. My name is Cleo Flynn, and I am one half of the Canary Cast podcast duo. The other being? Being me, Janet Anscombe, up in the mountains. Hello and good afternoon and welcome. Since you are in the mountains, dear Janet, um, you are slightly colder than I am. Though it, we've had a couple of days, but I did get my sea swim in today and lovely it was too. But let's start with the weather because it is always a favourite topic anyway. And um, we've had kind of our second or third major fall of snow over the weekend. Um, what's, what's the latest on weather and traffic? Well, it, it's been quite exciting, actually. We, we've got down to single figures, well down into single figures. We're at about a thousand meter altitude and eight degrees is quite normal for us. In the middle of the day, we get up to about 11 or 12 and you know, a T-shirt and a jumper and a cardigan on top and two pairs of socks and a fire lit is now quite normal for us <laughs> through from Normally, January and February are our coldest months. And during these two months, we have already, as you say, we've had two significant snowfalls up top. And the other one is there's still snow on the ground. And the the Cabildo here and in Gran Canaria have learned from the last one and the crowds that went up there. I know it's great fun and I know everybody loves to do it. And it's like a magnet and everybody drives up. and Yet we are in a pandemic and the authorities learned that calling on the public not to go up didn't really achieve the effect they wanted. So this time the Grand Canarian Cabildo well in advance closed every access road up to its peaks. And so in the end did the Tenerife Cabildo and they announced only this morning that they're opening all the access roads tomorrow morning through the morning. So the roads remain closed through today there's still snow on the ground up there for you to go and see tomorrow, but they have asked the public to avoid it because although it's not a, re a requirement under level two, which we are in, mm -hmm. we are supposed not really to go driving around unless we have to and only to go out for what we need. That's not an absolute rule. It's not like a curfew, but we are told we should. So there will be um, checkpoints and security up there to make sure that crowds don't gather. That's the big worry. Is, is the crowds gather. Do you remember four or five years ago, I think it was, certainly pre-pandemic, um, they had a super idea here where the Cabildo laid on a fleet uh, and a, a convoy of free buses from various points. So you could drive to Villa Flor, for instance, park your car, and then you got a bus up to the mountains and you could spend an hour there um, and then get the bus back down. And it was like their way of saying to people, come along, enjoy the snow. Let's avoid the kilometre long traffic jams that happen on snowy days. I mean, as I say, that was in the olden days when you were allowed to sit in the bus with 57 other people. And it was such a lovely idea that, I mean, if we could ever get back to that, that would be a nice thing to look forward to. Because for people who might have just moved here, there will be snow in them, their hills for a, a good couple of weeks every year. Well, this time it was over a foot deep. Wow. And 
you know, that's significant snowfall. And the part of the mountain that gets it hardest, it seems to me, is around where the observatory was. And we always get some fabulous videos from the scientists there because it's it's an amazing place. The it is the Canarian Astrophysics Institute, but AMET, the metro, the meteorological office, they have an outfit there, and other universities like the University of Leeds, for example, have scientific outposts there as well. So they do environmental as well as astronomical, as well as meteorological investigations at this place. And we always get wonderful videos from them when it's snowing or blowing a blizzard. And this time it was so bad up there that the team that were there, I think there was a handful there, they couldn't actually get out because somebody's got to be there all the time because there are some incredibly sensitive measuring instruments up there for weather, for the environment, and of course, for the solar astronomy that, that is carried out there. Mm -hmm. And so there's got to be someone there all the time. So they have teams coming in to relieve the ones that are there. And this time there was a team stuck there for about three days because nobody could get in to relieve wow. them. And they were posting videos and uh, it was all very, very interesting fascinating and entertaining although i imagine it might have been a bit uncomfortable to be stuck there for three days i'm wondering because it's something maybe we haven't mentioned for at least a year and a half uh, people a lot of people will know maybe some people won't that that is where one mr brian may the guitarist from queen did his doctorate in astrophysics was up up That's at right. that laboratory or the the, the center the investigative center in in tenerife that is absolutely right. And it, it is why, for those who didn't know that, he developed such um, such a relationship with, is it Garrick Israelian, the, the chief astronomer there? And, and, and Stephen Hawking at the time. And Stephen Hawking was involved as well, of course. But it was Israelian. That relationship. Yeah, it was, it was that relationship between the two, between Brian May and Israelian, that brought... Starmus to these islands Correct. because they developed a relationship <clears throat> during those years and of course Brian May was instrumental <laughs> what stupid <laughs> pun I didn't <laughs> I didn't mean the pun but he was very instrumental in more than one way in, in getting Starmus to these islands which it's a shame we couldn't keep Starmus actually but yeah which meant I mean we had uh, Brian Aldrin we had Stephen Hawking we had like some of the top Russian, American, English astrophysicists and astronauts here in the islands. And I was incredibly privileged to see Stephen Hawkins on his first visit here and, and yeah. see his first speech to a, a Tenerife audience. And that'll kind of stick with me for a long time. Yes, what I suppose sticks with me is we have had between us, we have been in the company of more Nobel Prize winners than most people could ever say they were in the company of simultaneously. And from a range of disciplines, um, you know, people like astronomers, but also scientists from all over, and also people like Alexei Leonov, the first space walker. Yeah, yeah, yeah You know, it's absolutely phenomenal. It's, it's a real shame that Starmus wasn't able to be kept for these islands, and I, I still live in hope that it'll return one day. Maybe. Sadly, Maybe there were financial the new, reasons. The new but... normality, the Cabildo will will look back and reassess its agenda, because I think I it was a funding so. issue as much as anything else. I think it, it was. I 
I think it was entirely funding yeah. issues. Yeah. All right. Well, that is snow, and snow has led us to Queen and to music, which is always a nice. I like the way we can divert on these podcasts. <laughs> we set a little agenda, everybody, but we do allow ourselves to digress. Um, we never stick to it. <laughs> no, and then we race to the end. Like, oh, we've only got three minutes. Um, okay, let's let's jump on in to let's talk. We need to talk about COVID. And in fact, a nice thing, every time I go onto the adeche.es, which is the local council page, the first thing that flashes up is the number of positive cases in adeche. And for weeks and weeks and weeks, it's been well over 100. And today it's not, it was 93, I think. So that was kind of a nice, a nice little positive thing, just to see that it's down. But we have had a couple of bits of news today on vaccines, Janet. So um, Spain have announced now that the AstraZeneca, this is the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, will not be given to people between the age, sorry, will only be given to those between 18 and 55. So the over 55s will not be given the AstraZeneca vaccine, which, as in other countries, means that the rollout uh, speed changes because AstraZeneca vaccines are arriving into Spain, but they're now being diverted to that smaller group of people. Um, so that's something. And I know here in the Canary Islands, we're slightly ahead in certain ways. They're beginning now to vaccinate um, adults with or adults who need daily assistance is what the line is. So there would be people who live at home, but would need to have carers. Now, these would be registered carers, probably with social services the whole time. So while they are continuing to finish the vaccination of people in residential care and, and first line, frontline workers, they are now also going to move on to people who have daily care needs. And can I remind people again that if they have a family member in a care home here, but it's not a registered care home, while we are not saying that those non-registered care homes are anything but excellent. If they're not registered with the health service, there is a possibility that your family member won't be on a priority list. Do we know, Cleo, if the AstraZeneca vaccine, it, presumably it's not the only one that, that Spain is getting, is it? No, so, no, no, no. Uh, the one, one is coming to. Yeah, so, so that the over 55s will be able to get a vaccine, but they won't be able to get that one. Exactly. So it might take a little bit longer for them to get. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm just if you bear with me and I'll see if I can find the figures. I mean, I, I from what I can gather, um, while the vaccines, they're arriving into the Canary Islands. Uh, right. So we have the Canaries has received or will receive over 14,000 doses of the Pfizer vaccine this week. OK, so the AstraZeneca right. one is coming as well. 8,000 of the AstraZeneca, um, but so they're, and the Moderna one. So three different kind of vaccines are coming into the island this week to keep up the vaccination process. But the, so those 8,000 AstraZenecas will now only be limited to the 18 to 55 year olds, which leaves me out in the cold or waiting for Moderna and Pfizer. And I su yes. suspect that means you as well, Janet. It most certainly does. Um, it, it is worth stressing, though, isn't it, that although there are these sorts of considerations that the, I mean, there's a whole vaccination program, there's a whole website the government has developed for people to go on and 
um, work out where they are and how many people have been vaccinated, all the information concerned with the program and links about the strategy and the rollout and the procurement and the distribution and the timing. So there's a pile of information. The transparency is very, very good in Spain, I have to say, in, in terms of what you can find out about what the government is doing. It, it's absolutely stunning, the information they have given us. And I think it is important to reassure people that although it seems like a lot slower. I've had quite a few queries about this because the UK has done very well in procuring very vaccines good. and they have run out very quickly. But the difference is that in the UK, so it seems to me, everybody's getting the first one. And then because they're focusing on the first vaccination for the most people possible, the gap then is increased between the first and second doses of the vaccine that have to be given within a set time and the UK isn't able to do it within that set time. Mm. So in Spain, it might look a lot slower as a process, mm. but it will be safer in my estimation because yeah. although slower, the people who are getting the vaccine will get the two doses in the right phasing. And although maybe the AstraZeneca one is not going to be given to the over 55s, doesn't mean they won't get a different vaccine. They no, will. No. Yeah. And Spain wants everybody to be vaccinated who wants the vaccine. They're not going to be enforcing it. But no. anybody who wants it here will get it in time. We just have to wait to find out what the system will be. From what, again, I'm going on, on what I'm reading in local papers and the, the, the government websites today. So there have been uh, 28,000 people have had their two doses already in the Canary Islands. There have been 85,000 vaccines um, received to the island. So 28 plus so 40,000 of those have gone, or sorry, 50, nearly 60,000 have gone to the two doses and then another 25,000. I'm doing maths in my head as we as we talk here. Um, so as you say, the num it's slower perhaps, but they are keeping sticking more to the double dosage timetable. And just the following science. Yeah, yeah. Following and the AstraZeneca, what I am reading as well is that there is absolutely no suggestion that it's not safe, but maybe it isn't going to work as well on the older population, and that's why they're they're saying to older people who live here, wait another few weeks, and we will give you a vaccine that we sincerely, scientifically believe is going to work better for your age groups. And that's why it's not that the AstraZeneca one is not effective. It's more effective in younger people. I mean, our bodies change as we grow older and, you know, we have different drivers and, and molecule, molecules change and transform and attachment. I mean, I am absolutely no scientist, but I will accept their, their word on this because I don't think they're just trying to kind of hive us off, you know? <laughs> I, I get no impression they're doing that at all. I, I think they are doing their best. And I, I think it's important though, that that we understand the time scale here because there is a certain hype from certain political quarters and anywhere where all politicians do this. It's it's not a dig at anyone in particular, but they, they hype it up. Oh, we've got a vaccine, everything's, just give us a few months and everything will be back to normal. And it isn't going to be like that because no. they are talking about to give everybody the two doses they need safely and within the time scale science says they must be given is going to take quite a while. And there's also, so it's not a case of give us until the spring or even the summer. 
we are talking about a much longer program. There are also concerns among some now that the new variants might not be so effectively treated by the vaccine. So they'll have to develop other, maybe not develop whole new vaccines, but, but nudge the recipe, if you like, exactly. to make it, it able to deal with other strains as they come. There's also a question mark in some science quarters over how long the antibodies remain effective after a vaccine has been given the two doses. So we need and so it is possible that like the flu, we're going to need, it's not going to be a one-off thing. It yeah. could be that there's one a year. There are some saying there might be two a year. Now, I am not trying to be a wet blanket here. I think the vaccine is essential. I think they, I know I'm certain they work. The science proves they work. It's not an opinion, it's proof. Mm -hmm. But there is also the fact that they are going to take a while and might not be a one-off thing. And so to me, it seems essential that we have to take on board the fact that the vaccine alone is not going to pull us out of this. We have to carry on with COVID regulations with what I know people, some people hate the term the new normal, but I think it is a new world. And the vaccine is a part of that, but it's not the whole answer. And I think we're gonna have to continue with some degree of maybe mask wearing or social distancing for the foreseeable actually, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that is per perfectly reasonable. Again, listening to the radio today, there was a, a medical expert on, um, I don't know if he was a doctor or an epidemiologist or something, but he was saying, I mean, you can't, when you get the vaccine, it doesn't mean the next day that you are now immune. It takes a number of weeks for, it to become efficient within your system for it to deliver your an immune reaction to your system so even if you get the vaccination today you will still have to continue to wear your mask and wash your hands and keep your distance um and we're going back i mean someday we should write up the lexi the lexicon of covid because we have so many new words in our dictionaries whether it's new new normal or herd immunity um isn't it but uh, to even to achieve herd immunity, we were talking about this weeks ago, 70% of the population need to be vaccinated, but also I presume need to have been immunized through vaccination. So, you know, again, it's a long waiting game. I think it is a far longer game. I think people are beginning to realize, I think they did towards the end of last year, that once the new year was looming without much of a change, then I think people began to realize, okay, this isn't gonna be over in 2020. This is, and once you accept it's going into a second year then, and you hear politicians, some of them saying, well, maybe by autumn. <laughs> and you think, hang on a minute, that's autumn 2021. Are we going into a second year here? And I heard someone the other day say two or three years before, before we can begin to think of release, relaxing some of these measures. And well, it's a new world. Will we ever relax them entirely? I don't know. No, I, I mean, and I don't know whether the, the next generation, um, they they adapt much more quickly than we do. So they think differently already. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was very delighted and surprised the night before last to get a call from one of my daughter's friends to say, just before we get on the bus, uh, is it how many people can we be within a group? And they wanted to know, was it six or four? Because we're at level two, um, because they were going to abide by that. Now they're 16 year olds and 
they're not nerds and they're not goody two shoes. They just needed to know. And they just accepted that this is part of part of their living by rules at the moment because it's just become part of it, you know. And I think that's yeah, great. What is lovely. And what is lovely is that they're not asking how do I get around X no, rules. No, no, no. They're saying what are the rules so I can comply with them. It's yeah. it's, a, it's a brilliant outlook. Yeah. And they have assimilated it into their daily life in a way that is well. We said before, haven't we? when we had the lockdown in the early days of last year, um, which seems so long ago now, how, how were children going to react to it? And they, they reacted far better in many ways. What we have to hope, I suppose, is there isn't an ongoing psychological cost to that. I do think we're, we're luckier in, in lots of ways. I mean, I know I get annoyed by people who think we're totally living in, par in paradise because we're in the Canary Islands. We are still suffering from lockdown, from lack of seeing family, from lack of travel. I mean, just because the sun is shining yeah. doesn't mean everything is glorious, but it is a huge advantage that our kids can spend so much time out of doors um, and, and, so, and can go to the beach and can have a swim or can walk along the coast and can see different groups of friends at a distance. And they can do things that say kids back in the UK and Ireland cannot do with the same level of comfort um, because of, Geogra our geographic location so that is a plus as well it certainly is and it, it's true not just for them but for us for us too you know we can be together now we're in level two we can be together as six and and my husband and I were the other evening we were with four friends all sitting outside um well, you know in, in a pergola type arrangement and totally legal to be there with people you bubble with and it all of us sitting there just enjoying our company. We haven't been together since um, December. So it just felt really lovely to do it legally. Okay, we had to leave and get home by 11 o'clock because there's a curfew. Um, but but so what? It, it was lovely to do it and to be able to do it outside and not even in our winter, which is particularly cold right now, to be able to do that and still be able to be outside and be comfortable. Exactly. We are lucky. We are lucky here. We are. I, I, re I get the will. Yeah. Very and, lucky. Well, and when I Zoom with my sisters, the, the, the occasional comment is, you look very tanned. And I'm thinking, really? I'm not <laughs> or anything, but just by going out for a walk every day. Um, That's right. You know, we do. We're looking healthier, probably, which is good. OK, yes. Janet, talk to me about well, a blackbird. Well, we, we we all know about swallows who come here for the winter. Well, this isn't a swallow. It is a mirlo, not a swallow, but a mirlo. And specifically, it's a mirlo capiblanco. And this little bird is a migrating bird. And it comes to the Canary Islands and Madeira between November and March. And the reason it is so important to us is that there is a tree here and in the Madeira, little Madeira archipelago itself. In the Medianias, there is a tree that they call a cedar, a Canarian cedar. It's actually a juniper, but that's irrelevant. It is a tree in our Medianias. So when you look up at the forestry and you, you see all the fir trees, but you also see these juniper trees as well. And this tree, they think, this bird actually brought here because it eats the seeds and obviously it flies around and as birds do, it deposits seeds 
everywhere it goes and through its digestive system. And it they think that them out, these, in other words, it keeps them out. out. And they, they spread and they propagate and the trees grow. And this bird is thought potentially this species is thought to have been responsible for bringing this tree here in the first place in one of its early migrations. Anyway, now every year it comes back and it keeps these trees going. And the Tenerife Cabildo has a, um, a park biologist who is responsible for the migration of these birds. When they come in, they catch them, they, they net them, catch them, ring them. And they can, by that program, they can see how often they come back. And some of them, as they say, they come back year after year after year, like our human swallows, but these are avians and the connection. That's nice. That's, that's a kind of nice good news story that despite what, whatever else is happening, they're still coming back and returning to us. Okay. Well, this Mirlo Capiblanco is, is a whitehead, Capiblanco, a whitehead. Um, it's a mountain-dwelling cousin, if you like, of our blackbird, the blackbird that we all know and love, whose song fills our gardens everywhere in the summer. This is a cousin that lives in the mountains, and it comes to Tenerife and the other Canary Islands, particularly La Palma and Madeira, from November through to March, and does its work here, propagating these trees, looking after them. And because we've had some droughts over the last several years, the park biologists who do the ringing and the monitoring of this species and how it, um, how it comes and what it does while it's here, they've even put little drinking troughs out for this bird because we've had such dry weather, there aren't the usual water sources up there for the bird. How to nice. drink from and you know I just see my own chickens the first if they haven't got water they panic there's always got to be fresh water for them and so they put water troughs out for these birds to come and they oh. can drink so like I say we have human swallows and avian mirlos and the mirlo is the mountain dwelling cousin of our famous blackbird how nice and they keep the trees going in the national park how nice. Well, thank you for bringing us That's lovely. I love <laughs> it. Right. Um, very quickly then, because as usual, we're running out of time. <laughs> There's two things that I want to mention, or we, we would like to mention. One is something I posted last week. Um, the Adeje Volunteer Firefighters. Uh, now, this is a firefighting force of seven or eight or more team strong. They're based in Panya Bay. They're all volunteers. Um, and we've talked about them in the past because last year uh, one of their ill one of one of them was in Germany. She was leading some, you know, a division of training on the use of new technology. We've had, I've interviewed a British-born member of the Adeje firefighting team. And so you don't have to be Spanish stroke Canarian born, but obviously you would have to speak Spanish. But they are looking for new volunteers. They're looking for people who would be interested in becoming a volunteer firefighter. And very simply, uh, if you are interested, if you're over 18 and if you have a clean driving license, you can send an email to bomberosdeadeje at gmail.com. Okay. I posted the article and the poster already on the Focus Adeje Facebook page if people want to see it because there's, there's a picture of the firefighters there. But very simply, you just send an email in Spanish 
saying that you're interested to bomberosadeje at gmail.com. Okay, so and they're, they're such a great force. And I mean, I've been up there for open days. They hold open days up in their fire station now and then, which is just at that little roundabout where you would come off the motorway and take the new road down to Fania Bay. It's just up there. And uh, the next open day is well worth a visit. So that I wanted to mention. And between us, we want to talk about our good friend Deepika, who hopefully is joining us next week because people might be interested in sending questions to us. Isn't that right? That's right. Because Deepika was a consular officer here working with the British consulate and is now with Age in Spain. And they do an awful lot of work, not just with. Um, the elderly, let's call them as, as a group, but, but with other people, you know, expats here who um, need assistance, particularly with registration lately, they've been doing a lot of good work. It'd be very good to talk to Deepika again and, and hear an update of what she's been doing since she left the consulate and took up with the with age in Spain. Yeah, I would good. say if with regard to the sorry, Janet, I've interrupted you. Oh, my goodness. No, 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 no. I was, <laughs> I was just going to say if people have yeah, questions. If people about have questions about health, about vaccinations, and they are British pensioners living yeah. here. Um, I would suggest yeah. they could either send them to the Adeje Focus Facebook page or maybe to your uh, online page, Janet, because sure. we, combine, we, we sure. will compile the questions and then give them to Deepika in advance so she can have the answers ready. That's right, so she can research anything if she doesn't actually have the answer on the top of her head. All I was going to add just before we finish, and for those who don't know the system here with regard to firemen, it, it's not that all the firefighters are volunteers. There is a consortio, um, an official body, if you like, of the various fire brigades around the island, and these are professional firefighters. But the we all know what it's like trying to get around Tenerife at times. We haven't got We've only just had the motorway in the recent years between Adeje and Santiago del Tere. So the geography of the place and the little roads and the way things work here in terms of logistics of getting around have required very local, like Adeje, um, areas to have their own volunteer brigades. And often these brigades work together with the consortia professionals. So there's full training involved for the volunteers. And they have ever such marvellous fun open days, don't they? And they show people what they do and they let children play on the fire they engines. Do. And, and, and they do a play fundamentally. Too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> even do one year, I remember they had zip wires whizzing across the roof of the, of the station. Oh, and I was really annoyed because only the kids were allowed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but they do a fantastic job and a very important one because sometimes there are incidents they need to get you quickly and they can get there and hold well we're back to buying time aren't we they hold the fort and deal with the incident while the professional guys are on their way and without these volunteers often that accidents and fires yeah. um, could be a lot worse so it's it's a very valuable job they do so it, it's highly to be approved and applauded yeah i mean and just as we know, people who have moved here or who come here regularly sometimes might not realize every borough in every country is going to work slightly differently to the one that you live in. So in Spain, I mean, I've always lived in Adeje, volunteer services like civil defense, like firefighters um, are a major part of the day to day life of the borough. 
whenever there is a local fiesta or a parade or a concert in, in one of the main squares, you will have the local firefighters and the local civil defence people on standby with the local Red Cross as well, who are there for the health and safety of everybody who's attending. And they don't get paid, but they do it because they believe in giving back to the community. So, you know, it's only to be applauded. And like I say, anybody who lives here uh, will always be welcome to, to, to be part of these bodies. And if they're interested in doing so, you know, I'm, I can provide you know, more information if if there's interest in civil defence work or stuff like that. I don't have all of the names and addresses, but I can find out where they need to go to. Yeah, and maybe one day in the future when we all feel safer doing it and they are holding an open day again because they can, maybe it's something you and I could go and have a look at and do a programme around. That's a nice idea. Do a podcast around it. It'd be, a, be nice mean, to do sit that. sit down with some burly firefighters? Well, I was thinking of the tripwire, actually. <laughs> okay, you do the tripwire and I'll record, all right? <laughs> and you do the burly firefighter, yeah, okay. <laughs> all right, damn it. We always end on a laugh, don't we? <laughs> Listen, put on your second pair of socks, it's getting chilly. Go and give some <laughs> the chickens. And we'll we will do. talk next week and we will have Deepika from Agent Spain with us. So get those questions in because, um, you know, the earlier she gets the kind of queries that she needs to deal with in advance, then the earlier she can have the correct information to hand. But she's one of the most super efficient, friendly and informative people I know. So she'll be able to handle any questions. I just know she will. Absolutely. All right, then. Hasta next week. <laughs> Hasta la próxima. Exactamente. Adiós. Hasta luego todo. <laughs>